This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. I know it's been a bit, and I apologize. It's been kind of nutty for both David and myself, so I apologize for the long break, but we are back. We're going to jump into a new episode, and I've got David here with me. He's, he's kind of half alive, but he's here. How you doing, David? I am glad to be al- among the land of the living. For, uh, for the listeners out there that don't know, I... Uh, I spent the last 20 days in a bed with uh, the the lovely COVID-19, but I'm back. I don't want to talk about it much other than, (laughs) yes, I I got it, and I spent two weeks of my life in a bed. Yeah, and so we're excited to have David back and up and running again. You know, we've we've both had our issues the last month, whether it's COVID for you, shoulder for me, it is what it is. But we're back in the studio, so again, welcome everybody. I just wanted to say a big shout out to our audience. Just thank you all very much for following and sharing and subscribing and and being a part of the podcast. I think we're somewhere around 7,000 downloads, something like that um, for all of our episodes. So that's great. And we, we really appreciate it. We, we couldn't do it without you guys. So keep, keep it up. This is what keeps us rolling is uh, knowing that people are out there waiting. Just a big shout out to all of you. And so thank you so much. As Um, marks almost a full year. No, this is this will be the start of year two of yeah, the this podcast. Is like second year because we started. It'll be two. Yeah, we started in nineteen two, November of nineteen. So it'll be two years here in November. Well, I'm I'm just tickled to still be here, still yeah. still rocking and rolling, loving it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and we get to cover whatever we want, which I think is part of the appeal for David and I. We get to cover whatever we want to do. So, all right, so today. We thought we'd just do a little bit of our own perspective on uh, one of our favorite animals. What is it, David? Ursus arctos horribus. You're doing better than me. I could never come up and say that, the scientific name. That is the scientific name for my least favorite, um, what would you call it, um, large carnivore? At least least favorite as far as that's the one you don't want to run into, right? Yes, that, that is the scientific name for... The grizzly bear. Yeah. David and I know a little bit about grizzly bears from experience out in the field or just, you know, our friends who've had experiences out in the field. Brown bear, grizz, horribus is what I <laughs> like the name. Horribus is in horrible if you run into one. Yes. Um, I put up a post this past week on social media talking about that, you know, with Dan Thompson, you know, he said the things that they actively defend, you know, their food, their space and their young, of course. Um, act and by actively uh, you're talking two three hundred yards and you know every time i've been charged patrick my focus has been either north or east or west and they come from like beside and behind you so you're you're literally looking north oh everything's good and all of a sudden you hear a little bit something to the southeast and you just turn over your shoulder and look and here come the bushes are exploding and here comes a horribus yeah and the crazy thing is a lot of times you don't even know that they're around. They're just ticked off here in their space somehow. You know, Ranella calls them 
charismatic megafauna. And I like that name too as well, you know, because it's, yes, they are very charismatic and they are mega. But <laughs> massive. I, I just, you know, it's, I get it. We I shared a article on the uh, uh, Facebook page group we have. If you guys don't, haven't known about that or heard about it, you're more than welcome. Just uh, ask for an invite and Patrick and I'll join you in the group. We try and keep it lighthearted and friendly and be nice to everyone. So it's been a cool group so far, but I shared that article that, you know, they're relocating yet another bear to uh, Togety, Yellowstone, you know, Dubois, Union Pass. Mm -hmm. That's where they just go collect these bears that are getting into trouble and drop them off. And I, I mean, to give Dan a a shout out, I, I know they're doing the best they can, but you know, my opinion, Patrick, if we've got that bear collared and in a cage, I mean, I'm I'm all for euthanization because we have plenty of bears. Yeah. And, you know, there's some parameters that if a bear meets, yeah, they're going to euthanize them. If it's acting aggressive, if it's, you know, raiding homes, you know, hey, boo-boo, let's get another <laughs> picnic basket. But my thought is, and this is just me being a little bit, oh, obtuse probably, but... California has a grizzly bear on their state flag. California has zero grizzly bears in their state. (laughs) So I think they have one or two options. Number one is they can start taking these excess grizzly bears that we uh, have done all the work. And and we'll trade for, I don't know, we'll trade turkeys for grizzly bears. I think that's a wonderful trade. (laughs) Um, But we want 10 turkeys for every grizzly bear. Or they need to take that grizzly bear off their state flag. Well, I think that you bring up a good point. Because I've been saying this for years is that we need to start exporting bears since there's so many states that love them so much. I think that, you know, it's just only fair that we export some of our bears and heck, I don't even want anything in return. I mean, they can take 10, 15 grizzly bears here and there, you know, and put them back on their native range. You know, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But I think that one of the things that's been interesting about it is the people that live in those states, they're, they're perfectly happy with us having them and not having to deal with them themselves, just like with the wolves too. I mean, it's, it's, it's a similar deal, but it's like, it's, it's the not in my backyard mentality. Yeah, We, but my opinion, heck yeah, we can, we can easily, we're way over our numbers for the ESA. Oh yeah. Way over. So why don't we start Thompson already said that, you know, they're being conservative as far as they're not overestimating that population, they're being minimally conservative. And they said something like 800 bears over 800. Yeah. That was last year. And they're slated to add, you know, 10% to their population, no natural predators. Uh, we're not taking any out of the population to speak of really. So, well, I mean, if you go with the argument that they use, their argument is, well, we need grizzly bears there. Cause that's their native home range. Well, last time I checked, there used to be grizzly bears on the West coast, right? So yeah. why can't they go back again? You know, it was the whole argument that got us the wolves. Oh, it's the 5 million people in Portland that wouldn't put up with having a grizzly bear walking through their, their neighborhood and eating Fido, mm. but it's okay for you and I to have to, you know, deal with these things. I, I, I don't know how to, to solve it other than, you know, just to get people aware that if we don't, ma- I mean, I've talked to a couple of guides in Alaska, right? And for everybody listening, the GYE is saturated with bears and GYE is the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. But uh, BC 
Canada, you know, you get up into the northern half of Montana, that's no longer the GYE. There's plenty of grizzly bears up there. And all the way up through Alaska, there, there's plenty of diversity in that population. And like Dan said, you know, yes, we, you can have local extirpation, but they are not endangered. They're not even close to being no. endangered. The, the way they're actually endangered right now, they're in danger of running out of food because there's so many of them. And there's infanticide. I mean, the big males are killing the young. Oh, of course. Because yeah. why would you want to have, you know, competition in your home area? Well, more importantly is, you know, a sow comes into heat every two or three years. She rears those cubs till they're almost three years old. If that boar can come in and, and annihilate those cubs she's going to come back into heat the next year. So he, he gets to further his genome down the line instead of somebody else's. So that's, I mean, yeah, it's brutal. It's cruel. I don't, we'll have to ask. I don't know if they uh, feed on the cubs very much. Sometimes. I, I'm, I'm I know they do in Alaska. They'll but. feed on wolves. They'll feed on anything else. So I, I would imagine they do. But do you know why they call them brown bears? Why is that? Because there's a brown streak in your shorts after you meet one. Yeah, no kidding. That's no joke right there. I mean, that's a bear you don't want to run into. But I, I do think that there is kind of a, we're on that tipping point, I guess you could say, of irresponsible management. We've been there for a while, right? Because you have such an excess population of this super predator that now you, you have ultra competition, not not just between grizzly bears, wolves, mountain lions, all those things, black bears, black bears, but also between them themselves. Like I said, you've got poor grizzlies going out, killing young. It could be avoided or at least mitigated to a point. Like you're not ever going to avoid all of it, but you could get some of them out of here. And to play devil's advocate, I don't want all the bears removed. I'm not on the bandwagon of saying, Hey, we need to have zero bears like they did in the fifties. No, you know what? We just have too many. They are a cool critter. And to get to see one out of your vehicle, out of Yellowstone, at 300 yards walking on the other ridge is intimidating. Seeing one at 30 yards snapping its teeth and running at you is uh, it's more than intimidating. Or and, wolfing at you. <clears throat> you know, most of the listeners probably know that I lived in Alaska, hunted in Alaska, did a lot of solo camping in Alaska, and never was overly concerned. And I've talked to a couple guides up there and told them about these bears down here. And they said, that sounds horrible because when they stand up and yell at a grizzly in Alaska, I mean, the, the, the brown coastal bears, and they are a little bit different subspecies, are significantly larger. But and the way you can tell kind of a difference is fish-eating bear, a salmon-eating bear, kind of coastal Alaska and, and British Columbia versus an inland interior British Columbia or Alaska you know, those interior bears focus more on berries and ungulates, deer, elk, antelope, caribou, whatever is available to them. Um, so the size difference, you're talking an inland, a big boar is going to be in that 500 pounds. You're going to get out like on Kodiak, which again is more, that's exclusively brown bears. You're going to be well over a thousand pounds, upwards of 12, 1300 pounds. But those fish-eating bears, because they have such a caloric-rich intake of fish, are not nearly as aggressive. They have a much smaller personal, you know, circle of safety and zone where, and we're talking, I mean, I'll give people the, the Russian River. Flows into the Kenai. If you want to go see a brown bear, 
go hike the Russian River Trail when the salmon are in, and you'll you'll see a brown bear. I mean, especially morning, evening. And I've I've got some pictures, and we'll put one up of a sow with two cubs, and she was walking towards me. I was standing there fishing. I just said, "Hey, bear!" She crossed the the Russian River, went past me, and hiked up, and then crossed back when she got about two hundred yards above me. Her cubs just followed. I mean, she just kind of swaying her head. She looked up at me for a second and went back to. Oh, no big deal, fishermen. But there is thousands and thousands of fishermen mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of habituate those bears to what's going to be tolerated and what's not. And like what I wanted to get to is those interior bears talking with those guides. When those guys yell at an interior grizzly, a 500-pound grizzly, Max, that bear hits the ground and runs away. Why? Because they're hunted and they have a very deep respect for man, you know. And I have respect for the bears. I try and give them their space. But these dang bears here, Patrick, when you yell at them, they run at you every time. And their little personal zone isn't 30 to 50 yards like it is on the Kenai. It's three to 500 yards. Yeah, I've had friends that have been three or 400 yards downhill of a sow with cubs. And she came tearing down at them. You know, they were riding their horses down in the bottom of a gully, you know, going through. And yeah, I mean the, the interior, I guess what you could say, grizzly bear of Wyoming, you know, the, the only grizzly bears that we have here are way more aggressive. And I think you bring up a good point. A lot of it has to do with, they're not hunted. They have no fear of man. I mean, the, their experience with man is here in Wyoming anyway, is I hear a gunshot. That's probably something getting killed that I can go eat. Um, oh, they they have I definitely mean, they, been habituated to yeah. to learning that and they've associated with firearm reports. It's called Equal the dinner food. bell. Yeah. 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 I mean, so you're ringing the dinner bell and they're coming running and it's, there, there's some truth to that. These, these bears, especially the, the Union Pass, Togedy, you know, Grovant bears. Dunor. 80% of their diet is ungulate. I mean, they are eating elk. That's what they eat. And they can chase them down too. Have you seen those videos of like them chasing down like a calf elk? Oh yeah, there was holy a holy. there was a study in um, I think it was Yukon territories, and we'll have to pull it up. But they collared an adult male grizzly and followed him around, and actually verified scientific study. And he ate something like fifty-two calf moose in like two or three weeks, because you know all those ungulates time their um, breeding cycle together they they kind of breed the same week or two that's called the rut you know it's us archery hunters love to hunt that period of time but nature has done that so that they drop all those calves the same week or two so the calves kind of have a herd mentality protection if you you know all those cow elks disperse from the herds and they go out by themselves and they drop a calf and you know you think about it if if that herd stayed together in maybe 500 head or 200 head or 50 head but on Friday, all 50 of them dropped their calves. Grizzly bears just got to get in the middle of them and he can eat half a dozen of them, right? Mm. But if they all spread out two, three, five hundred, a thousand yards, you know, now that bear's got to do a lot more wandering and those, those calves have a chance to survive. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You, you know, you brought up uh, just the predation. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. You've got... Here in Wyoming, up until 1995, right, we had a low population of grizzly bears. We didn't have wolves until they were introduced. 
you know, the, in our elk there, There's some dispa- d- debate about that. And, you know, the one thing, I, I'm not to dispel your interrupt you, Patrick, but, you know, there's a couple wolves that have been collared that have left packs in Oregon and left packs here in Wyoming and have gone all the way down to Utah or Southern California, turned around and gone back. So to say that there was no wolves in the Yellowstone Park now publicly there were no wolves right i I would say 99.9 percent of the wolves were gone and if there was a wolf in there he might have been one of those bachelor younger adolescent males that was just roaming around but sure but what i'm saying is the the predator population was nothing like it is now oh yeah i mean the the landscape has changed for sure and have uh, you seen that video uh called tropic cascades how wolves affected i've heard a lot about it but i haven't watched it so, I mean, without getting too deep into it, a, a tropic cascade basically means that a uh, charismatic, charismatic mega fauna carnivore will affect the ecosystem all the way down to the insect level and help heal the environment. And there has been the study that was done in Banff, Canada, actually had some uh, reputable scientific data and evidence, and they actually went out and and prove that it can't happen, but that film and, and the way they talk about Yellowstone is, it's more than up for debate. It's, it's pseudoscience. Yeah. I've heard about that. You know, they say they brought back all these things, but I don't know that I necessarily buy that. So for our listeners, I mean, I, I don't want to, uh, perpetuate even the viewing that film. Don't go view it. It's, it really is garbage. It's had like 500 million views already and it's I mean, and if you can get mad at me, but I have a different opinion. Basically, what it said is because the wolves came back, they started putting pressure on the ungulates. So the ungulates didn't feed as close to the river as often, right? They dispersed their feeding patterns more. And so because their their feeding patterns were dispersed more, the willows grew bigger. Because the willows grew bigger, more beaver moved back in and the beavers could build dams and slow the erosion. And so that led to more insects, which led to a healthier environment and you know yes all these things are true to a a point having beaver dams is a good thing right controlling erosion is a good thing but you know we as humankind by not letting fires burn by not removing the beetle kill i mean we're causing more environmental destruction than a wolf chasing an elk off a stream will ever yeah well, and, you know, if that's their point and maybe that's what they feel is the truth, well, then why not get wolves in Washington, Oregon, California, you know, all these other places? I mean, that's that's been my argument this whole time is you want Wyoming to bear the burden of this because, I mean, if you're a cattle rancher, you are bearing the burden. If you have cows up there, they are getting predated on. I mean, that's just the world that they live in and to go through some of those numbers you know i i know one of the cattle ranchers here you know let's say they have 300 head that they run up you know pairs so 150 mom and babies and they run them up on a grazing allotment of 10,000 acres on the forest so they have from april till october or whatever they have a permit they're allowed to be there remove so much of that feed and then they have to come off well some of those guys are losing 20 calves plus maybe even 30 calves to wolves and grizzly bears. I mean, you start looking at, you know, those guys are going to maybe make two, 300,000, but they have 200 plus thousand in expenses. So if you're looking at a 25, 30% of your profits is feeding 
elk and or is feeding grizzly bears and wolves. I mean, do you want a pay cut like that? No. And the the other side will say, well, though they they don't need to, you know, those cattle ranchers don't need to be as rich and as wealthy and have as much land. And I mean, I just, I'm sorry, but I roll my eyes. We all like to go to McDonald's and have a cheeseburger. Where's that cow come from? Most, if, most cattle ranchers I know aren't rolling in dough either. They're not driving brand new pickups <laughs> and living in, and taking month vacations around the world. Those guys. They work hard. They work way too hard to, to keep those cows alive. And that's, I mean, we had a little tiny herd on this place and between them getting out and having to take care of them and everything else, that's, that's a hard job. It is. And speaking of hamburgers, we need to talk about one of our sponsors. So. Mm, I'm guessing. Let me <laughs> let me guess. High Mountain Seasonings. That's right. High Mountain Seasonings has everything you need. Next time you want to go grill up some burgers, grill some steaks, maybe you've got some venison backstrap that you need to eat, go to highmountainjerky.com or himtnjerky.com. They've got everything that you need. And coming up here shortly, David, is hunting season. So you're going to need their jerky kits too. Yeah, jerky, summer sausage, breakfast sausage, backstrap. Yeah, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, it's good stuff. So go help them out. Spread the word. I like the uh, whole muscle jerky, and they have a really good kit. And you just take a big chunk of meat, slice it thin, you know, brine it, and then smoke it. And it's it's good. But the kids really love that ground jerky. You get the jerky gun, shoot it on some wax paper, stick it in the oven, you know, you make right after you grind it, you put in the seasonings. They've got the uh, proportions on the packaging. You just have to weigh it, grind it, put it in the gun, shoot it, and stay. And the, those kids will eat pounds of that stuff. I I can't make it fast enough. It's so good. Yeah. So definitely get out there and do that. Getting back to the bears, the thing that's been kind of interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the last ten years, especially, is the litigation. I mean, we've had. The back and forth between state of Wyoming, state of Montana, state of Idaho, and the federal government, and, and federal judges injunctioning here and doing this and that there. The part that really gets me is it's like this moving the goalposts with the law. And it's not scientifically based. If it, right. I can get on board 100% with any ESA you know, proposal, Endangered Species Act, saying, hey, we need to protect the golden spotted frog from this construction site, or we need to protect, uh, you know, the California condor from toxic lead shot. If you can scientifically prove that, Hey, this bird's eating, whatever, getting enough lead to actually be killing its young, killing its offspring, reducing its birth rate and killing itself. If you can go out and prove that scientifically, you know, there's no question that this is what's going on. And heck yeah, I'll get on board with, Hey, let's, Let's put in some procedures, some rules, and protect it. But when it's, like you said, especially with these bears, I get a little heated. We're just going to move the goalpost. Oh, we're just going to move the goalpost. And everybody yeah. knows that. And if, if you don't really look at it, and I don't have the data here, and we're not going to get into wolves, but wolves is one that they definitely, they started with, they said if there was 100 wolves and 10 breeding pairs, so 10 packs that they would be recovered. That was the agreement. That's what the scientific scientists said was a healthy population. We're now at 50 packs and 800 wolves, and it's still, oh, we're going to move the goalpost, and there's not enough, and they're still threatened. And it's like, no, no. And here's what we all need to take a step back and look at. We should be applauding 
that the ESA worked, that the wolves are recovered, and that we can now hunt them. That should be held up as human beings brought wolves back from the brink. Human bring, beings brought whitetails back. We brought bison back. That shouldn't be held it up and touted that, oh, it's not good enough, so now we got to double that. Because there has to be a balance, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point is that Unfortunately, there are special interest groups that don't believe in the science of it, and they don't really care what the carrying capacities are for that area. It's a totally I wonder if selfish, they even know what carrying capacity... Well, it's a totally selfish motive. Oh, yeah. they, they I think they're, my two cents, in my opinion, is they want to get hunting banned completely. Exactly. It's all about getting rid of hunting. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the good of these species... Or any of that, it has more to do with, well, we just don't want you to hunt them. I've heard them say stuff like they'd rather the government agency remove 99 of the 100 bears than have one bear be removed by a hunter. And it's it comes down to an emotional thing for them. It's no longer science. And you you can't manage a ranch, manage a farm, manage an ecosystem, manage a fishery on emotion. Nope. Okay. I mean, and we can we can go on a little tangent. I really think the Kenai River today should be closed for king salmon fishing. They voted. The guide said, well, we're going to be out of work. We want to catch king salmon. The returns are lower and lower and lower, and that's a five to seven year fish. Most salmon are a three to five year. And those king, you know, those Kenai River kings, Les Anderson caught that 98 pound, but he towed it around for four hours before they even weighed it. So it was likely a 103, 104 pound fish. You're lucky to go catch a 50 pound fish out of that river now. They're 50% smaller fish. And the numbers just year after year after year. And yeah, I know I'm putting Alaska fishing game on blast, but sitting down here 3,000 miles away, watching them go, well, we'll just open and take a few more. Somebody needs to tag a few of those fish and figure out why, because that's a glacial-fed stream, and there's no dams. There's really not a whole lot of human. I mean, you you can't even step on the bank, Patrick. They've they yeah, have I know they've done a pretty good job on the river portion to manage that. Well, there's something else going on. I mean, and we can speculate, but I think we need to get some scientists out there and. And one thing we can do right now today, I mean, it seems short-sighted to me. It seems like they're cutting their nose off to spite their face by saying, well, we'll just open fishing again this year. Okay, that's great this year. But 10 years from now, when you have zero fish, you're not going to have anybody paying thousands of dollars to fly up there to maybe see a fish in a week. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, it's kind of fun to catch those salmon, but that's not, that is a meat fishery. And people go up there to come home with a fish box full of salmon. Well, and I think another thing that, especially with like a fishery like that, I I think you bring up a good point that there is something going on up there for sure. You know, you talked about the numbers being down, the size being down. There's a lot of factors at play. I think you've got the ocean part of their life is a huge part of it. Um, They're pressured a lot harder in international waters, especially I think sonar has gotten better to where they target those bigger fish. Absolutely. And I'm not going to sit here and speculate that this is sure. It's a reason. It's a combination of things. And I, and And it's complex. Yeah. It's got to be figured out because in 10 years we may not have them. I mean, if it keeps going the way it is, I I, I was up there, what, seven years ago and it was bad. 
Oh yeah. When the whole time I lived there, it was never open for keep. There was one year it was it opened for catch and release when they thought they were gonna have good numbers and then they turned around and shut that down. A couple of years after we moved back down here to the the lesser forty eight. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, we, we got to go back one summer and my dad's now a resident and so we go up and visit him and yeah, we got to kill a few kings and it was fun and we ate them and some of those bigger fish need to be let go. And I can get on board with the catch and release. I mean, a whole bunch of people, there, there's an argument there, but if if you handle a fish properly, you know, you think, oh, wear it out. The They've done a study and the mortality rate, as long as you don't, you know, hook them super deep and you don't really abuse the fish. I mean, you just quickly land it. Don't pull it out of the water. Take your photo, un- unhook the thing and make sure it's revived when you release it. I think there was something like 96% of those fish make it to spawning. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot of fish biologists about this. I think there's a lot of factors. One is temperature. You know, if the temperature is up, especially with a cold water species, you're going to kill it. Um, the other thing is where it's hooked, the slime on their body. You don't want to remove a bunch of their slime. That'll kill them. And then just general handling of the fish. If you're, if you're grabbing them improperly, you're going to kill them. And yeah. you know, duration of being out of the water is a huge factor but yeah there i know we're off on a tangent we're talking grizzly bears but really that i mean that does sustain a bear population in alaska and i mean we got to have those fish we absolutely have to figure that out and that's those special interest groups i'm glad people are passionate i'm glad people are out there wanting to well, shoot, improve we're, we're special interest right oh yeah we're Heck hunters yeah. and fishers i mean we we're not going to pull any <laughs> jabs here. I mean, we are special interest. Uh, my interest is I want to put protein in the freezer. Yep. And sometimes I, yeah, I'm fine with catch and release. I'm fine with, you know, if I go out deer hunting anymore, Patrick, I, I'm not shooting a, a spike fork buck. I'd rather go harvest a doe if we're gonna, going to, then the biologists say that we need to reduce this local herd. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that, but if... <laughs> I don't want to go catch 12-inch rainbow. I want to go catch 24-inch rainbow, right? I don't want to go shoot spike forks. I want to go shoot four points. And I actually want to go harvest a grizzly bear, and one day I will get it done. And, you know, if you don't like me for that, that's okay. That's your opinion. But don't don't sit there and say that I'm wrong in doing that, right? When if you look at the science of it, and that's kind of what we I wanted to cover here is Mm -hmm. you go look at the science of the North American conservation model around the world. It works where it's not implemented. (laughs) I mean, game population numbers are absolutely plummeting to zero. Their Amazon rainforest is getting bulldozed and turned into crop fields. And the farmer walks around and anything that's disturbing his crops gets shot and gets put in a pot. That's just the way the world works. You look at cornfields back east, <laughs> whitetails obliterate those cornfields, but there's subsidies to pay that farmer. There's game wardens to patrol to make sure that farmer just isn't piling 50 deer on the corner of his field every week. And there's some of those Missouri, Iowa, Kansas states that you could shoot 50 whitetails, especially if you were out there with the spotlight <laughs> in, on your cornfields. And, you know, think of the antelope here on the alfalfa fields. Oh, yeah. So there's science that helps manage all of this and there's biologists and state 
representatives that have been hired to do the best they can. I mean, Dan Thompson, I'm my hat's off to him. Kudos. He's got a dang tough job because he's got the farmers and ranchers and the hunters saying, remove every one of these bears and screaming at him. And then he's got people on the other side of the aisle saying, you better not touch a hair on one of those bears heads. They're our sacred cow. And the truth really is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I, and, and that's the thing. I, I don't think that we need to obliterate every animal. You know, it's like, we can't just go wipe out all the grizzly bears. I don't think that's a good thing, but we also don't need two to three times the population that this is the care, carrying capacity either. And there's a couple so, drainages, Patrick, up there where I like to go, go wander around that have a bear per square mile density. That is the highest bear density in North America, excluding a couple salmon streams in Alaska in August. The rest of the year, Alaska has a lower bear density. You know, you're talking one bear per 10, maybe 20 miles, where we still almost annually, and some of those drainages are running a bear per square mile. So on a five, six mile hike, you're going past half a dozen bears. That's ridiculous. Well, there's some places that you and I've hiked like that that, I mean, we're glad we didn't run into any, right? You know, go, hiking in to go fishing. But, I mean, I'm sure we those willows are tall. I'm oh, sure we walked by a ton of bears. And, you well, know. What was it last year? We walked by, turn around, and there's this big old black bear that was there. A hundred yards even, away. We, we never saw it. it was there. And the willows were chest, maybe, maybe head high in some spots, but chest high. And, yeah, he... He did his thing. We did our thing. It, it was, I'm not, I have a healthy respect, but I'm not terrified of bears. It's not a Jaws situation where, yeah, we need to kill every dang shark I've ever seen. And I do feel that way about those demon fish, <laughs> <laughs> but I just stay out of the water. They stay in the water. We're, we're good. There you go. So back to the grizzly bears though, it, you know, I would, I want to see the scientific management of them. Well, and I want to see the state agency be able to do their job. I think there's, not that the federal agencies are bad, but the Wyoming Game and Fish Department should be able to sell tags, should be able to help manage the population. There's absolutely no reason that they're kind of on the fringe of it. I mean, they get to deal with some of the heartache of it, unfortunately. And we can look at it economically right now. You know, a non-resident elk tag, the special is $1,200. And a good portion of those people are hiring a guide at $5,000. So you got $6,200 coming to the state for every bull elk that that gets harvested. Um, How many dollars come to the state for every grizzly bear? Yeah. Zero. Exactly. Nothing. We actually spend money relocating, trapping, mitigating. So, and, you know, like it or not, sportsmen are feeding those grizzly bears. And... You you can argue with me all you want, but there was no elk left. There was no bison left. There was no whitetail left. And there was no grizzly bears and wolves left. It's the sportsman that, with the Pittman-Robertson Act, said, you know what, we need to fund conservation. We need to stop this. We don't want to see this go the way of the passenger pigeon. And if you don't know that story, go go do a little Google research on the passenger pigeon I mean, and the attitude in the turn of the 1800s, turn of the century was it's an unending consumable resource. Just take, take, take. And we overtook, right? So I'm not 
I don't want anybody out there listening to this thinking I'm advocating for annihilating and completely removing the grizzly bear. What I'm advocating for is letting our state agencies and letting our sportsmen manage the resource responsibly. Well, and you think about it this way too. And I know some people, this won't matter what I'm about to say, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. But if we are managing the bears, we're going to have a lot less of these encounters where people are losing their lives. And I mean, we had that guy get killed up by Turpin Meadows a couple of years ago. We had we that had young lady in Montana. In well, we had a young lady in Montana get killed just yeah. recently. Yeah. She got pulled out of her tent in the yep. middle of the night. In the middle of the night. We had another guy get killed in West Yellowstone this year. I mean, it's not, we're, we're not sitting here crying wolf and saying that this is a, this is, you know, just our pet peeve. This is a, a legitimate concern and problem for any sportsman, you know, nature hiker, bird watcher, fly fisherman. At this point, weekend it, camper. It, it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. If you're within these bears habitat and I go back to those guides I talked to in Alaska, when they're remote guiding a client and they run into a bear and they stand up and yell, Hey bear, that bear beach cheeks, you know, just getting out of Dodge and they'll, they'll run miles to get away from a human. These bears, you stand up and say, Hey bear, you're, you got a fight or flight on your hand. And so one thing I've, I do, and we've done, and when we've gone hiking, you know, I pack two cans of bear spray and a pistol. I've upgraded from a 45 ACP with hard cast bullets to a 10 mm. Now there's an argument for either weapon, I've been charged enough times to tell you that unless you are a seasoned expert marksman, that you're not going to even pull that pistol out of your holster by the time the bear is going to be on top of you. So if you want to stay safe, the buddy system, and everybody has a can of bear spray, bear spray is very effective until it runs out. And that's why, you know, I, I pack both and I believe in both. And thankfully, knock on some wood, it hasn't, you know, escalated to the point of either a human or a bear has lost its life. But there's been a couple of those encounters that, you know, the thing for me was the, the two encounters that I had that were the closest. One was a sow with a cub at about 60 yards, and one was a, a very large adult boar at about 30 yards. And they, I mean, the one, the boar came from 90 to 30 in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get my hands off my hiking poles. He got up to about 30, established that he was dominant, turned around and went back on. And we had just gotten too close to one of his carcasses and kills. It was a deer kill, still had hair on it. So I'm fairly certain that, you know, he had actually either found a deer that had been wounded or he harvested that. It wasn't a carcass that he'd taken from humankind, right? So that's fine. It's his. I We gave him his space and got out of there. But he was an adult 550-pound male grizzly and he knew without a doubt that if he wanted to eat my lunch, he could have it. And he just was warning me that I was too close to his stuff. That sow and, and female cub, we were out in the middle of a meadow hiking on the pack trail at about 10 in the morning. We come through this island of trees. There's a big meadow with a little island of timber in the middle. And the island of timber was 120 yards. We come out of the timber. There's a dog leg in the trail. And they're out. 100 yards in the middle of the meadow from all directions from timber. And I just said, hey, bear. And she kind of stood up for a second. And the wind was in 
my favor. So the wind was blowing from the bear to me. So she couldn't smell me. Right. But we had hiked up that trail in the dark three hours earlier. So there's human scent on that pack trail. And she went down on all fours, turned 90 degrees. Her cub followed her and I could hear her breaking branches and trees for two or 300 yards to get away from me which was the right choice for her because it wouldn't have ended well. You know, when I had seen her coming, walking at 60 yards, I had already had time to draw my yeah, pistol. So got ready. I was ready for, but it still, when she stood up and looked at me, I was like, okay, um, what's going to happen now? Cause <laughs> I, I'm holding my ground. I mean, I've yelled, Hey bear. And so it's, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Patrick, neither time did I feel overly confident that I was going to come out on top in those situations. Yeah. And you don't know because you don't know what your body's going to do. You don't know if your spray is going to malfunction, your gun's going to malfunction. That's one of those situations. I mean, you just, you try to be prepared, but you don't know what you're going to do in that situation at all. And so, I mean, the, the fatalities that we have had have been single people, right? Excluding most Mark. Of the time. Most of the time. And, and you know, Mark, he, <laughs> he rode in horseback, did everything you're supposed to do and it still didn't matter. So I, I'm of the camp and of opinion that we need to teach these bears a little respect. Well, and that, and we're so far above the carrying capacity. We're just asking for it to continue to happen. And, yeah. and we want to mitigate hikers being torn up, hunters being torn up, fishermen being torn up. I mean, no one wants to see someone lose their life. No one wants that bear to lose its life either. So I want to make that clear. Like nobody needs to in these situations, right? Like we want to make it so that, these conflicts are a lot less and there's a lot less fatalities on both sides of this. Oh yeah. Oh, certainly. And I mean, you could, you could use the example of having a barn cat around your farm. I mean, I grew up, you always have a barn cat, right? You either have rats or cats, but the crazy cat lady that has 52 cats at her house and she owns an acre and she's just barely feeding them. And those cats are going everywhere, getting into everybody's garbage, killing every songbird and every snake that they can find. Right. Not, spaying and neutering them, not being responsible. That's basically where we're at with these grizzly bears. So we're the crazy bear people? <laughs> well, I'm not, but I mean, we as the United States of America, yeah. I mean, are. Yeah, we really true. are. And they're, they're, unfortunately, they're not worth the effort. Now, you got to take that with a grain of salt. I still want to hear wolves. I still want to go out and chase mountain lions. One of these days I want to get a Wyoming grizzly. I think that'd be amazing. But we need to see where their carrying capacity is at and keep them in check and not have emotion about it. That's that's all I'm trying to advocate for. I mean, we do the same thing with elk. There's a huge herd of elk just outside of Cheyenne, Wyoming, the capital city. And, I mean, they, they do a drive to try to get these elk, you know, managed. Why? Well, because there's not enough feed for all those said elk. So it's the same kind of thing. I mean, that's all we're saying is that they need to be managed and the managed to the science, not just managed to the way, you know, people that don't even live here feel like. Oh, and as a sportsman, as a special interest group, sometimes, I mean, I can bring up an example where, you know, those big elk herds over there where the, the, the large carnivore guild is not intact, right? You're talking about the big horns or, saratoga or wherever you know those elk once they get a little pressure they figure out to go on some of those bigger two three thousand acre ranches and the ranchers are you know have an absolute moratorium on shooting elk they want to sell 
big bull tags for fifteen twenty thousand dollars and yeah you can come shoot one big bull well the problem with that is is that is actually harming that elk herd they're they're overgrazing everything else around them and that's and it may not be harming the elk herd right because they're a little more aggressive but the mule deer are the ones that are being displaced and our mule deer out west if anybody knows anything they're hurting really bad bad deal i mean it's all about balance and right now because of things like that and the things with the grizzly bears and wolves we don't have the balance we need so there's one awesome tool that can be implemented and the state agency i again give kudos to wyoming they do their they do they do flying counts they really do try and manage you know and could they do better in certain areas through the lens of certain interest groups yeah but as a whole, I've lived in other states that haven't done nearly as good of a scientific-based responsible management. But you get down to it, and we need to, you know, and one of the, tool, one of the tools that I wanted to talk about was um, Wyoming Fishing Game will, you know, basically say, hey, we're going to put this cow hunt on, and we're going to put the pressure on these, and we need to get these elk back under management objective. And, yeah, we do feel do do some supplementing feeding and that's been going on for a long time and there's a big argument about there's actually some litigation about keeping that going and i'm (laughs) i'm selfish as an elk hunter i i want to see those feedlots continue because if we if we just all of a sudden i mean we really have made those elk pretty dependent on that feed for the winter to survive and we've now let the ranchers graze the winter feed with cattle so if we're gonna this is pretty unpopular but if we're gonna pull the feedlots out and say okay no more feedlots we're also gonna have to pull some of those cattle out and say yep. all right your grazing permit that was worth 150 heads now worth 25 head there's just not enough feed there's, and it's been so hot and dry too I we, mean. we still gotta i mean Three years ago it wasn't, but we're we're back in a we're back pretty in a bad drought. drought. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's going to be a pattern for a while. But, yeah, you bring up a good point. You can't have your cake and eat it. I mean, it's just we can't expect to have it both ways, right? I mean, we we got to be smart about it. Whether it be bears, wolves, mountain lions, elk, it doesn't matter. we got to be smart about how we do it. And if we're smart and take a few now, right, and we can mitigate that big winter die-off, and then we can mitigate having three or four or five years of zero tags because 90% of the population crashed. And that will happen. And then we've seen it happen, and that's based on science, not based on emotion. And it's not pretty. I mean, it's not something that you want to see. I mean, all these people that really want to go watch these animals, you have a die-off like that. I mean, it's not going to be good, you know. And it's three, four, five months. I mean, yep. we have a beautiful picture hanging in this podcast of a really nice bull elk that ended up getting eaten by a, by a coyote while he was alive. I mean, and <laughs> it's not pretty. It's not an easy way to go. And it's, I mean, it's raw and it's real. It's nature. It's wild out there. And we as human beings want to sit here and, and make Disneyland out of it. Yeah, unfortunately. So let's talk about another sponsor here. Let's talk about Bow Spider. I know you've been out for the count for a little bit, but you're going to be getting back on the road. So where are you headed next? Uh, we we pretty much follow the whole Total Archery Challenge circuit, and it's a, it's a really good event, really good people, lots of good vendors and booths. And one thing I love about Total Archery events is it, like the name implies, it's a Total Archery Challenge. 
So it's going to challenge you mentally, physically. It's going to challenge your equipment. It's going to test, are you truly ready to go out and do this? And if, if you're struggling on that 3D course with either the hiking or, you know, just anchoring or off, off anger, off kilter shots, that's the time to start working those kinks out. Not, you know, you can, you can blow an arrow up on foam and it's not a big deal. You, you blow an arrow up on an elk. Well, if the arrow didn't blow up and was, was off its mark at that's, that's worse than anything. So, and as hunters, we, we need to be responsible and be ethical with our harvest. So the, the goal of bow spider was to, to create something where it was a quick, easy access. You could get your bow when you needed to. And what's really interesting unlike these total archery challenges where you're hiking a couple miles of ski resort at 8,000 foot plus elevation, which, you know, most of us live under sea level. A couple of us are lucky enough to live above, you know, well, some of us live at sea level, right? Or a thousand feet. Some of us live at 5,000 feet. So we we're acclimated to, <laughs> but you know, when you, when you come from some of those lower Eastern States for sure, and you're going to come out West elk hunting, you know, you, you better you better have been doing some cardio because it's it's no joke. But uh, what I wanted to say was bow spiders really can help reduce that arm fatigue of having to pack that bow all day. So when you do get the opportunity to to make a harvest shot, you're you're fresh, you're you're accurate. Yep. So go to bowspider.com. You still have time to get in before it gets too crazy here right before bow season. Don't don't try to buy one right in September. I would highly recommend you get it done now. I, I wouldn't even <laughs> buy one the last week of August and say, hey, I got to hunt mid-September. Yeah. Uh, don't we, don't, we, don't, we don't stress David out, okay? Like <laughs> he, He's going to try to do what he can for you, but don't do not do that to him and his family. You know, try to get it ahead of time. Don't get try to get it a day before you leave for your hunt, but... It is a game changer. Oh, yeah. Speaking of hunts, we uh, launched a feature-length film on YouTube. And when this comes out, you'll have a couple more days to uh, get on and enter and to win on the... uh, Just just, uh, search YouTube Bow Spider Sheep and you'll find the film. And there's a link in the description of how to get to the giveaway. And we're giving $10,000 worth of gear away. So it's from Sheep Feet, from Maven... From High Mountain Seasoning, from Bow Spider, Outdoor Edge, Expedition, and Kufaru. And Blue Creek Outdoors with Joe Bartlett. So so you can also go to bowspider.com and find that as well. Yep. Get on there, enter. It costs you nothing to enter. Might as well. There's, three, there's going to be three lucky winners, and they're all going to get some really good stuff. They are. So, and then one other sponsor, because this isn't really a fishing podcast, but I'm going to throw them in here and we're going to talk about it is PK Lures. I really wish I could be out doing more fishing, but with my wing, that's not quite all the way functional. I haven't done as much as I should have, but I have gone out a couple of times. Uh, I will tell you this time of year, if you're on the jig bite and you want to catch walleyes, that PK spin a jig is a game changer. If you want to just do take it easy and do some trolling, PK Wobbler, PK Dakota Disc are fantastic for trolling. So go to pklure.com. You can pick those up, support another great company, and get out and catch some fish. Let some of those big hands go. Yes. Keep all the bucks you want. <laughs> We're all expendable as males, aren't we? I I feel sometimes, Patrick, and I've said this before, I'm just the oxen that pulls the cart. <laughs> when the oxen falls over dead on the side of the trail, the family just kind of moves the cart around and goes and gets a new one. But yeah, it's a joke. Expendable, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
But final thoughts on Grizzly Bears and management. What what are your final thoughts on it? Um, let's let's let science dictate over emotion. Uh, be safe out there. As far as you know, let's not let's not incite any more nasty bears. So definitely food storage. There there is a correlation between bears that get habituated on yep. easy food. They, uh, you know, uh, the saying is a fed bear is a dead bear, whether it's a black one or a brown one. And that's pretty easy to be responsible, whether you're camping, hiking, or just, I mean, Maine, Michigan, in some of those states that have a pretty bad black bear problem, you know, just keeping your, your Fido's food locked up and your, you know, fish carcasses or whatever. It's, it's definitely, and we've all seen the, the video of the black bears climbing out of a dumpster and somebody backs up and throws a ladder in and lets the bears climb out and that's that's just not where bears are meant to be so let's not invite them into our you know and again if you're if you're backpack camping it it doesn't take that long to take a hundred feet of paracord and everybody put your food in a sack and get two people to fold the pull the food up and you know the one thing i did we'll talk about is i stayed in the same campsite that uh, another group of of users had been using and they had been very uh, done, done very poor job of food storage. I mean, they actually took all their food scraps 50 yards behind camp and were just dumping it. Right. And they had stayed in that camp by a lake for a week or two prior to us being there. Well, we had a 110 pound black bear that was coming in and disturbing us every night at camp. Well, that bear is going to grow up. Yeah. At 110 pounds, you stand up and yell at him and he'd scurry away. But I mean, that bear is going to grow up and he's learned that people mean food and that's going to equate to a fed bear as a dead bear. And it could be a dead person too. I mean, you, that's, I guess that would be one of my parting thoughts is just that if you are going to be in grizzly country especially black bear country whatever any kind of bear country food storage is very important get it away from your camp get it up in the air high so that they can't get to it make sure you keep things out of your tent that are going to make them interested i mean i've i've had biologists tell me don't even have toothpaste or any of that stuff all that stuff goes up in your dry bag up in the tree like you get that stuff away from you carry toothpaste in Heck yeah, a little tiny one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Man, no wonder your backpack's so heavy. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so. But but I mean, that's that's a big part. And then also, like you talked about it before, I'm a big believer in going in groups. Make sure that you, you know, have the bear spray. If you're going to be up here. If you're hunting, lives, you're obviously going to be trying to be quiet. But I'm actually not that quiet in the woods anymore. Yeah. I mean, when we're traveling, we're actually making some noise. We're talking back and forth. We're laughing. Now I'm elk hunting. So we rip a bugle if we don't get a response and we're not overly loud, but I mean, we're, we're having normal level conversation so that I don't have to come around the trail and at least startle a bear at 15 feet, right? Some of those dense trails are just, and if you're solo, the old joke in Alaska was, you know, you want to have bells on your walking person or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> and you want to uh, make sure when you're looking at the trail to uh, identify the difference in scat between uh, black bear scat and brown bear scat. And the way you tell is black bear is usually smaller and has quite a bit more seeds in it, less hair. And grizzly bear turds is usually a little bit bigger, has more hair, but you, you also find little bells in the grizzly bear. <laughs> yeah, <turds>. exactly. <laughs> we but laugh about it. We but laugh, but it's a real, 
concerned. I mean, you don't want to startle the grizzly bears. That's the worst thing you can do. But also, so again, have that bear spray, especially in this part of the country where Dave and I are up around Dubois, you know, the GYE, you definitely want to have your, your, your bear spray. Together. Make sure you know what you're doing. Don't, here's another one. Don't be aggressive at a grizzly bear. You know, I've seen tourists do this up, you know, up by Yellowstone. Do not get aggressive with a grizzly bear because I guarantee you it will not end well for you. And he won't feel bad or she won't feel bad when she tears your face off. So uh, we, I go back to Dan Thompson, you know, babies, food, space, space. They're going to, I mean, Ursus Arctos uh, Horribus. <laughs> they, they have a bad attitude. They, yes, they, they are the, they are the boss dog and, yeah. Yes. I, again, I, I've got some cool grizzly bear pictures I took on the Russian river in Alaska. We'll post one in the show notes. They are a cool critter. It is something awe inspiring when you get to see one, but a, we need to respect them and B, we need to manage them. Yep. Well, I think that is a good place to end this episode. So if you guys want more Ragcast or if you want to comment, you can go to ragcastoutdoors.com. Of course, you can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, all those places. So come check us out. But Stay we'll, safe out there. Don't get the COVID and stay away from the grizzly bears. That's right. We'll be back again for another episode soon on another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. 